The womanist scholar and activist Audre Lorde once told us, If I didn't define myself for myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies for me and eaten alive. How do you define yourself for yourself? And how does that definition jive with other people's fantasy? As you meditate on the answer, let me invite you to sit back, pour yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. I'm Rob Celtic, and this is Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. drinking and dance at the end of the world. My next guest is a dancer I've known almost my entire career, dating back to before I even started training in Chicago footwork. Already incredibly well-known and accomplished, for those of you who don't know him, I'm pleased to introduce Jade Zuberi, a.k.a. Soul, originally from Detroit, Michigan, now living in Las Vegas. He represents the Soul Botics crew as well as Godchildren of Soul. Artist, director, dancer, activist, necromancer, professional assassin, orange soda. <laughs> Dave, welcome to the show. <laughs> what up, though? What's good? What's good? Thanks for having me. Hey, man, it is an honor to have you. Uh, what are you drinking today? I am drinking a cran apple. <laughs> Solid. That is healthy and wholesome. <laughs> yeah, I was like trying to, trying to remember the app of it. Uh, it was like juice blends, like you have Ocean Spray, which is my favorite, but it's out of stock, so mm. I have an alternate Apple version, so it's still really good. Hey, man, it's the apocalypse. A lot of stuff's out of stock. We got to do it. Facts. We got to do <laughs> what we got. Exactly. Times are hard. <laughs> and uh, in honor of uh, my guest, who is um, – not really a big uh, alcohol drinker. I am drinking a kombucha, so I will be much more sober than in previous episodes. <laughs> what flavor are you drinking, man? Oh, man, this is a uh, pineapple peach because I am fancy. Interesting. Fancy, fancy. I know, right? So um, <laughs> without, further, without further ado, let's uh, raise our glasses and uh, hey. cheers. Cheers, my man. Hmm. All right. Sure. All right. So, uh, let's let's get started. So, um, how did you start dancing? Uh, and who was your first inspiration in the dance world? And who inspires you today? Oh man. Um. All right. So, how did I start dancing? Well, my mother, uh, my mother and my father were very, very huge uh, factors into my dancing. Um. My mom was a huge, like, well, is still a very huge system of my art, which I understand. I was very fortunate to have that because I know most parents are not like that um, as understanding when it comes to the art. So um, shout out to moms around the world who are very supportive of that. Um, my father, he he was a musician before I was born. Um, and I mean, like, he was really doing like he was touring with um, Parliament Funk and whoa uh yeah he was one of the drummers for that so he was a big deal that's amazing really yeah yeah he was a big deal and my, i just found out that information uh maybe like a year or two ago um uh, from my mom <laughs> and she kind of just held that i was like wait why, why didn't you tell me this before <laughs> so it was like yeah you know that's just what happened <laughs> um but anyway yeah so he was a pretty big deal and then he was supposed to blow up a lot bigger as a drummer, but then um, what got in the way of that career was his lack for uh, reading music. Um, he's mm -hmm. more like a freestyle player, you know, and can just really go by ear. Um, mm -hmm. So that really got in the way, and then I guess fear kind of got in it as well, and it kind of snowballed after that, so he stopped. Um, but he still played and, and made music just for the fun of it. So naturally, I was engulfed and immersed into music at a very young age and my mother 
you know, in her womb still, like she would play jazz and like have kind of had like the earphones on her belly. Um, jazz when I was really young too, too, from classical music to jazz music, like authentic jazz. Um, mm. So, yeah, so I just always had like a innate, I guess, deeply rooted um, feeling of just having to move to music. My uncle also is a professional musician and back in Detroit, and he's more of like a percussionist, but regardless uh music runs pretty deep in my roots so um i started dancing around like third grade and my first town show was in was in the third grade actually i was dancing and i was so nervous that i brought i brought my best friend on stage and he did not dance at all like he's a mexican white passing boy you know <laughs> all the dance man i was like it doesn't matter just be my support system so uh, so, yeah, so he, we just messed around and danced, and then I got really popular off of that and then did it fourth grade. And then after that, we moved over into middle school um, and then started from fifth grade, and that, like, set the bar for that. And I was like, oh, I can really, like, go somewhere with this particular talent show thing. And I really I really took them serious, like, as if they were real performances. And I was just the guy that know. Uh, I was like, people literally came to talent shows to watch me. Like they didn't really care about any other, any other pieces. They just like, okay, is Jay going? All right, I'm gonna be there because I, I know for sure he's gonna put on a good show. So that's- uh, you know what, and I can I can really relate to that because I've had <laughs> I've had certain battles that I've uh, gone to. Where I was like, yo, is Jay going? <laughs> oh, he ain't? All right. I, well, yeah, it was- I'm gonna go over here then and, and get myself a drink. <laughs> yeah, man. So that's that's pretty much the the origin of that part and then um yeah i mean as far as inspirations too like my first ones were uh mj james brown usher um and then omarion came later um watched a lot of his pieces i was just really i was really inspired by the performance factor of what these artists did like i didn't i wasn't necessarily only wild by their dance ability but for me it was like the show that they put on of like, mm. wow, you know, create a type of atmosphere for people that, if anything, really highlights even more the actual dance ability. So for me, that's that's what I really took on was the entertainment value, um, and just the the showmanship as well. So that really helped out a lot. So and I'm, yo, th- for real, thank you for mentioning mentioning uh, Usher because. I don't think that man gets enough credit for inspiring dancers today. Oh, really, least, like, man, he does not yeah. at all. Like I, when I first started dancing as a, a little white kid in Iowa, right? Yeah. Like, like that, <laughs> aside, aside from Michael Jackson, which everybody loved to watch, like yeah, I would watch Usher religiously. Yeah, man. Like, you don't you don't have to call. Yeah, just yo, like, I was just about to bring that move that music video up. Yes, that was oh, legendary. Oh. Yo, that was my anthem for years, man. <laughs> and you know, I, you couldn't tell because I like I've never danced like him, but like just right. just watching him just got that that something moving, and I was just like, okay, all right, all right, cool, I'm in that mode now. Yeah, huh. yeah. yeah, man, it was yeah. Usher, Usher was definitely like just one of the top. He's always going to be one of the top tier of like one of the greats when it comes to singers who dance, who are dancers. Like you know, like there's. There are people who are like, okay, yeah, they can kind of dance like Bruno Mars. Like, okay, he's got some rhythm. But, and then there are singers who are also dancers. Like, no, they really do this shit for real. And you can really oh, yeah. tell Usher really did, he really does this. You know, oh, yeah. um, I mean, one of his trainers um, and choreographers were Flowmaster. You know, like for anyone listening in, like if you don't know who Flowmaster is, you really need to do your research because Flowmaster has been in the, the dance community and hip hop scene, choreography scene for years. You know, so and I remember watching a clip of him and Flowmaster years ago on YouTube, and I was like, "What?" You know, and I was like, "That's fucking crazy." I had no idea that you know they had that type of relationship. So, yeah, man, much respect to us for sure. Absolutely. Um, so you started in a very musical family, mm-hmm. and you are also a professional musician yourself uh, under the persona J sound. Correct? Yes, sir. Music. Yep. Um, so what can you tell me about that? Well, um, so this particular 
about um I think around two thousand and ten, which is pretty much when when I grad that was when I graduated in high school. Um and at first it was funny because I actually started out as an MC. Like I wanted to really pursue MCing. Um <laughs> and I remember I was really, really full fledged like hardcore MC in high school. And I remember like after school we would always have ciphers. You know, me and a, a lot of homies would have ciphers and people would literally bring their handbooks and like notebooks, would write out. Some people would have it beforehand, would bring their books. And then it was just like a spectacle we waited for after school. And people would come with their, their notebooks and then we would read off what we had, you know, and the best one just got, you know, like props was just for, you know, props, whatever. Um, and then it was me, my homie, Mike, who who now is pursuing MC and like full fledged. He's really, really dope from Detroit named uh, El Ray. And then my other boy, uh, bro, Maverick, his name was Mavericks, but um, his name was Armstrong or Jamar Armstrong. Um, and he was just really dope. And we just formed this really dope trio called Hard Knocks. And mm. um, the great thing about it was like we had completely three different styles of rhyming. And that that's what made us really stand out in our school because there was a lot of other different groups, you know, some people like took it serious. Some people didn't, you know, some people just rhyme just to rhyme because it was like the thing to do, but we really was taking it serious of like, no, like we really want to make music and do remixes of things, you know? Um, so that was kind of like our shtick for the four years we were in high school. And I would say like, even looking back, El Rey was more of like a Lupe fiasco at the time. Um, mm -hmm. Like just his particular rhyming style was like that. Mavericks was more of like a Joel Ortiz um, and I was more like a, a Black Thought or Jay Electron. So my senior year, that particular passion kind of started transitioning into producing because one, I kind of realized that what I was spitting about wasn't really popular. Like the things that yeah. I was talking about, like I just know I, I wasn't going to be the type of MC or rapper to just rap about either degrading women or, or money or cars. Cause I'm like, I don't live that, you know? So I'm not about to rap about something that I don't live. And the majority of rappers rap about it, but they don't live that. So <laughs> I'm just not trying to be another statistic. You know, for me, it was a lot of the stuff I was rhyming about. I knew was going over a lot of people's heads. So I just kind of started losing passion for it. And then, like I said, it kind of just transitioned over producing um, and that was more where I fell more in love with producing because obviously I was, I'm in the dance community. So I was really immersed and starting to immerse myself more with house culture. Um, and that's mm -hmm. when I started diving more into the house community, um, into house dance, and then really started going to house clubs more in Detroit and this particular music, because we're, we're known for having Detroit house, which is a little bit more of a different feel from like the standard house music that people usually hear or like New York house uh, or Chicago. Um, Detroit has a very, very raw and kind of uh, left field type of vibe to it that is really grungy and it really matches the, the atmosphere of like the blue collar mentality in a way. Um, and kind of like mm -hmm. the, the plants of like everyone working and, you know, really busting their ass in these like machine field type of fields. So the music really reflects that, um, you know, especially since techno started from Detroit too. So a lot of that goes into Detroit house. So for me, it really opened my perspective and ears to this particular genre of music. And I was like, oh, this sounds really dope. Uh, let me see if I can try my hand at this. And then I started creating that. I was already started. I was already producing music at 11. Like that was when I was already kind of making music, but it was on a software called EJ. And it was like, you just threw around samples and stuff. So I wasn't really serious about it, but I was still already making music at the age of 11, but it wasn't until 2010 that I really started taking it more serious. And then that's where J Sound came about. Um, I wasn't even serious about if that was going to be my name, but it, it kind of just stuck. And then I gave it its own definition afterwards once I really started becoming serious. And then, yeah, the, the more I just became more educated about it and I started studying more about mixing and what mixing is, um, the importance of it, the importance of mastering, the differences of that, um, I just started really nerding out about sound, you know, like the, the sonics of what makes really great music sound the way it does and really started doing my research on house culture and 
um, house music, electronic music, techno, hip hop, seeing how everything kind of like intersects with each other from jazz music to, to everything, man. You know, so it was just, it was a really, it was a really great journey to start into. Like I was forcing it, everything felt really natural. I think that was what really has kept me going was because none of it felt forced. Like with MCing, it felt kind of forced, you know, because I was kind of, I kind of started doing it because my brother was MCing and he's really dope at it. And then I was like, okay, I'll try it out because my brother, my big bro did it. Um, but it felt, it didn't feel really that natural. And I think that's why I like faded out of it. But producing feels natural. Like I can literally, I, I have made house music with under like 10 minutes and it's like crazy, like absolutely crazy, which I understand is it's kind of hard to make something within that short amount of the time. But for me, it's just, it feels that natural that I can just crank out music like that in a very short amount of time. And it sounds as if like, it took me like two days or something. So, well, that makes because you're that in tune with the elements through years of exposure and study and practice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that's, that was just something that has really um, been kind of the backbone of my artistry now, because I'm like, well, music and dance go hand in hand, like without music, there wouldn't be any dance, you know? Um, and I was, I was just about to ask, uh, how do you feel like your journey as a producer and a DJ has uh, affected your journey as a dancer? I think it's really, I think it has really transformed my dance in, in, in ways that I haven't, that I didn't think was possible. Like, it's made me more vulnerable as a dancer um, and as an artist because, you know, being, being a, uh, becoming a selector and a DJ, and the reason why I'm saying, like, I'm kind of separating the two titles is because for me, like, I grew up around real vinylists, like, real, like, purist when it comes to DJing so for me I still like pay my respects to that art form because I do know it is an art it's a lost art but I do think it is still an art so for me I don't really give myself the term DJ um, because I know there are still people who very much have the the classic view of what the term means which is disc jockey so that means you're obviously dealing with discs or some type of you know uh, phonic records you know to in order to be considered an actual dj um so i just use selector now you know um mm. for me because selector can be just anything you know what i mean it's just you're a selector of music so um so yeah so i think it's really cultivated my art and my dance in an incredible incredible way um that that like i said i couldn't really imagine possible if i wasn't a selector and a producer because with being a producer, I think you're you're really sitting in on how music is made. So then that gives you more appreciation for listening to music. Um, because you understand the end how the person you're listening to may have went to create what you love. You know, and it's like, oh snaps, you know, like this person just like I know they produced this track or song and I know like the the way how complex it sounds wow, I give this person a lot of respect because you understand that process now. You know what I mean? And then as a selector, it's really opened my ears to a lot of other genres that I probably wouldn't have dove into if I wasn't a selector because I'm listening to a lot of different other aspects of uh, different worlds. You know what I mean? Like I just got into this uh, genre called Vaporwave maybe like a year ago, year and a half ago. Didn't had no idea it existed. Um, but I've probably heard it through throughout my life at some point, but I had no idea it had its own universe, you know. So now I really dove into that world, and I'm like, damn, this is really dope, you know. So that that adds a sense of like I don't know contribution to my art form now. Like that's part of my identity. That's part of my layer inside of my artistry of what makes J Sound J Sound, and then that's what makes Soul Soul, you know. So it mm. really pays into a lot of the different feelings that I can embody as a, as a dancer and as a mover. Um, and, and just like into a lot of worlds that I can portray as a producer as well. Like that's just like a perfect example that comes up for me is uh, Herbie Hancock. Like he's a, he's one of the goats when it comes to music comp composition. Um, and he's just, he's incredibly diverse. And I, and for me, that's kind of someone that I, a little bit following the footsteps of when it comes to diversity inside of music. So yeah, I think it's really, it's really built a lot 
inside of my dance and artistry of being a, both a selector and um, a producer. And I mean that that actually that makes sense for anyone who's seen you dance um, because not only are you in the house world as you've mentioned, but you've also made a, a huge name for yourself in popping in animation yeah. and things like. That. So I I remember a few years back we were doing an event in Florida, uh, a digs deeper event. Oh yeah, yeah. You, you did a solo to, I believe it was a George Michael song. Yes, um, and it it blew me away not only because like it just perfectly matched what I was listening mm. to, but also I'm thinking in the back of my head, like my mom would die <laughs> right now because I, we'd be rolling around in the car and we'd be listening to this exact song <laughs> when I was. Yeah. And here we got this dude, like just, just mm, breaking it down to George. <laughs> and it was, uh, yeah, it was, was otherworldly, man. And that's, that's, that's something people who know you have come to expect. Um, For those who who uh, know you in other aspects, you made a name for yourself in the non-dance world by appearing on shows like So You Think You Can Dance. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I know a little bit about this already because you used to tell me stories, but for the for the rest of the people that don't know, what did the experience teach you about how non-dancers view our world? Uh. <laughs> oh, man. Um... And I'm sorry to bring up this pain. <laughs> I really feel oh man i can hear the voice <laughs> it's all good um you know it's it, it's it taught me a lot because you know i had so many i still have mixed feelings about it but at the time i had so many mixed feelings about doing the show one it's never came to detroit so that was the first um you know mm-hmm. so i think the fact that it came to detroit a lot of people are like yo you need to get on the show so you can really rap for Detroit. And I'm like, man, but it, it just doesn't, it really just doesn't represent street dancers the way I feel it should represent street dancers. And it's like, but you can make it. Like, they just kept pressing me about like, but you can make it. Like, if anybody's going to make it in the street scene, it's you. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try it out. So I really, I really took it serious. And I was like, um, I hit up my boy, Jeff Edmonton. Um, shout out to Jeff. And he's kind of like, not an all stylist, but he is definitely very, very diverse when it comes to the ballroom scene. So he knows, he really knows his, his shit uh, when it comes to a lot of different styles from tango to foxtrot to, you know, traditional ballroom, you know, you name it. So I hit him up to train me because I knew I was going to be doing a lot of those different styles, um, whether it be, mm-hmm you know, before I get on the show or once I'm on the show. So I'm like, I'm not really trying to come in there unprepared. Like, I'm really trying to be as prepared as possible. Can you help? And he's like, yes, let's do it, man. So he tried, no charge at all. You know, so this is where I was like, all right, this is like, he's really supporting my, you know, my grind here. So he really helped me out a ton, um, even though it was just for a short amount of time, but he really helped me out. And then I got on the show, you know, from the, the audition that was complete, unanimous is like okay cool here's your vegas ticket blah 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 so i went went to vegas uh did the vegas week thing which was really really hard mentally to to get through because it was just me i didn't have any like support system there it was just myself um but that was still a cool you know experience i met fiction there i met blueprint there officially you know so it, it was some some good friendships made out of that um but the thing that i learned the most from how the non-dancers really view dance is if they can't relate to it, then it it really doesn't do much for them, you know? And um, that's, that's kind of the unfortunate part. Like I knew for sure I didn't want to get on the show and be typecasted. I did not want to do that. And I knew mm-hmm. I didn't want to do that. And that was my goal was to not be typecasted as, oh, this guy's marketable, smile. And then, see, he smiles. Okay, now vote for him. And then, oh, my God, we love Jay because he's really friendly and nice. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not doing that. I know I, I know where I come from, and I'm not doing that. I'm not about to be your monkey on this show. I'll get on the show, but I'm only doing it for my reason and for Detroit's reason, which is to put them more on the map. That's the only reason why I'm doing it. And that's the only reason why I did it. And I told people that, and I still tell people that to this day, when they ask me, like, yo, would you ever do it again? I, in a heartbeat, tell them, no, not at all. They're like, really? Why? And I'm like, because I didn't get on the show 
to be seen. I got on the show to represent for a bigger cause, which is for street dancers who are, I feel undershined and I represent it for my city that gets overlooked. That was it. And I did that and that was it. I don't need to go back to that. So that for me um, was, was a stepping stone because I do think it, it got me more notoriety out into the non-dance community, you know, just people who just watch shows and watch shows. So I do think it definitely kept some people around that do support me um, who have never maybe seen someone dance like me before. Um, but I can always tell, like, the moment that I got off that show, I lost pretty much, like, the majority of the followers because they were just following me just because I was on the show. So that's mm-hmm. that's something that I know. I'm like, okay, yeah, so it's it really is like a popularity contest. You know what I mean? And And no... No diss to fiction either. Like I think he's a he's a wonderful cat, you know, um, and he's definitely put in a lot of work in his craft. But there's no doubt as to why he he won. You know what I mean? Like he he won that, you know, and because yeah. he's very yeah. likable. He's a popular look. He's a popular looking guy. Like when you think about it, he's if you look at his face, it's like yeah, that's a popular looking guy. That fellow looks like. Yeah. yeah, he just he has one of those likable looking faces, and I could have that as well, but I refuse not to because again, I just personally don't want to go down that path. That's just not that's not for me, you know. Um, well, so yeah, I think uh, that's um, that's one of the things I I learned within that. Well, uh, speaking of perceptions of the dance world, mm-hmm. and speaking of fiction, oh, no. uh, there's a little issue I want to discuss with you um namely uh, a particular battle that happened recently oh really uh, starring <laughs> fiction versus j oh, oh man uh, so so here's the thing for those who don't know uh, or haven't seen it yet um my my personal issues regarding shows like so you think you can dance or america's best dance crew or movies like step up mm-hmm. um mirror a lot of what jade has you know just been explaining to us uh and i've spent eight years of my career uh, explaining to people who you know whenever i say i'm a dancer they'll be like oh like step up and i'm like like, no no that is not actually that is not representative of uh our world or the culture um that i'm a guest of so uh I, I put all this work for almost a decade explaining to people this. <laughs> and then a month ago in, in Vegas, uh, there was a call out battle uh, between J rock, um, a, a popular um, popper and fiction, the dancer that was just mentioned. Uh, and J rock shows up to this battle in a, a, a full costume and makeup and backup dances <laughs> with, with, costumes and props uh. and it it he dressed like a powdered donut um, <laughs> or or as or as uh or as our, our boy jarius said uh the ghost of white privilege passed <laughs> and, and just proceeded to do routine oh, after routine man. and i i was watching it and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, everything I've been telling people for the last eight years is now just totally discredited. <laughs> oh, my God. And then secondly, if, if any of you like fi- can find this video and then like just, just take still frames, you will notice our boy Jade in the audience. <laughs> You'll notice him in the audience eating popcorn. Like he's at the circus, which really he was. There was a night yes. at the circus. So Jade, what can you tell me about your oh, night at the circus? Oh God, that that was a great introduction. I just want to applaud you for that. <laughs> oh man. Well, <laughs> anyone who knows me knows I don't. I really do not mess with J Rock at all. Um, you know, af- after a few conversations, like I I did think he was he was a cool guy. Um, until I started really noticing some things. But anyway, uh, my experience about that night, well, I personally thought that J-Rock was going to win. 
I literally said that too, and I was like, yo, like people know I don't fuck with him, but I really still think that he can win this because if it's a straight popping battle, I mean J Rock is considered one of the one of the best in traditional popping. You know, so I mean he's mm-hmm. he's a fantastic teacher. Like I can't discredit him on that. He's a fantastic teacher. He knows what he's talking about in his respective lane, which is electric boogaloo. He knows what he's talking about in that lane for sure. He's been in the game for a long time. He's definitely considered a vet now. He's he's got he's earned the vet badge, you know, um, regardless if people like him or not. One has to one has to give credit. Absolutely. To credit the Absolutely. Man yeah. The man work. And his skill Absolutely. Is Absolutely. There's no doubt about that. Jay is definitely still one of the best for sure, you know, at, at what he does. Um so I think a lot of a lot of us had him already as the the person who was going to win because originally we did think that it was going to well actually let me retract that. I didn't know that it was going to be a style particular focused thing. I just knew it was a battle. But I was like, well, we don't know for sure what's going to happen that night. If they do say, okay, it's going to be a popping battle, then yes, for sure, J-Rock is going to win that, no doubt about it. If it's an animation battle, I've seen J-Rock animate before, and I'm like, yeah, he could possibly take that too. So, okay. But, but, and this is something that me and John Boogs is talking about on the phone, I think two days prior to that night, because he hit me up to get my opinion on the whole thing. You know, because I I didn't I didn't really pay any mind to that whole debacle that happened. Um, but I know a lot of people were kind of up in arms about you know what fiction did. Real, real short for those sorry, sorry to interrupt. Real short for those who don't know the backstory. Yes. I'm quickly explain what. So basically, how this whole call out battle happened. Fiction went to an event that's called Highlight the Style, which is created by Yaya and Mary Poppins. Um, and this takes place in L.A., Los Angeles, downtown. And this particular event is specified to highlight particular styles so people can thrive in their respective styles. So I personally like that idea because it goes back to the discipline styles. Again, it's not just open format or all style type things. It's just we have a waving category. We have a tutting category. We have an animation category. The list goes on. So this one was animation and robot and fiction entered, you know, because I know a lot of people have told him that he does animation. That's debatable, but a lot of people have told him that he does animation. So he went in. The judge was one of the all time best animators in my book. And he's also from Detroit, which is his name is flat top. Yes, absolutely. Shout out to flat top. Um, You know, so he was the judge for that category. Fiction went. And he didn't make it. And he was a little confused as to why he didn't make it because there were other people who did make it past him who were not animating either. So originally I was like, well, I don't know why you're kind of salty about that because, I mean, it's kind of debatable if you're doing animation or not. You know, if you feel like you are cool, but, I mean, this is like one of the goats of animation and he feels like he didn't. But I also get Fiction's point now once I heard his side of it which is because there were other people who made it through who should not have made it through and they were not doing animation. And I looked at the footage. I looked at the footage. The footage is now up. If anyone wants to look at it, just just type in on YouTube, highlight the style, animation, and then it'll come up. So I looked it up and I saw the prelim round. A lot of people were not doing animation. I think maybe like two people. And the two people who did it were the ones that was in the finals. One of them was kind of... 50 50 doing it but one for sure is specializes in it so there was no surprise why he won uh right so shout out to robozilla from florida um so yeah so i was really shocked at the amount of people that did not know what animation was and i also wasn't shocked but i was definitely shocked i'm like wait what so i definitely get why fiction called out flat top which originally it wasn't even really a call out i think fiction just went up to him and asked Hey man, can you explain to me what your opinion is of animation? And Flat Top didn't give it. You know, cool. And that's when Fiction was like, "What? Okay." You know, and then that's when Flat Top kind of made his showcase directed at Fiction. 
And then that's when a lot of things just got twisted into rumor and all that type of stuff. And then it kind of made it seem like fiction was the bad guy, um, which at first I kind of bought into as well. And I was like, wait, let me let me go and see what fiction said. And I cleared everything. I was like, oh, OK, OK, I, I get I get I get fiction's point. I totally get that. And I understand that. And I respect his decision on doing that. So anyway, that was on Instagram. And then a lot of people on there who who do animation, who have showcased it, were like, no, nah, fiction, you in the wrong, bro. You know, some people are like, well, I mean, hey, you, you had a point. I, I respect it. So there were definitely some neutral parts. There were some people opposing it. And then J-Rock got on and made it about him and said, I'm calling you out when I see you smoke you what real animation is about and pulled a white savior card when it was literally just two black people talking about whatever. So anyway, that happened. And then that became this huge, like Floyd Mayweather, Conor McGregor type thing spectacle um just full of drama so yeah so that happened um so yeah so a lot of people thought that j-rock was gonna win because we thought there was going to be either a popping or animation battle because that's what j-rock initially said he was calling him out to do but then it turned into a freestyle battle which me and john book said if it's a dance battle and it's just anything goes yeah i'm pretty sure fiction is going to take that because which includes Apparently, costumes, yeah, and uh, yeah. So, for anyone listening in who's not a dancer, that's one on one. You don't do that when you call someone out to a one on one battle. You never bring people to help you with a routine that you that's an automatic loss. That's like you challenge someone to a street fight, a one on one street fight, but then all of a sudden you have your homies in who jump in to like add tags on the person you're fighting. And it's like, wait, what? I thought it was just a fight between you and me. It's like, no, no, dog, anything goes. Like, wait, what? You know, so, but it's like, but you just said it's me and you one-on-one though. So now you're backing out on your word. So yeah, that's just, just in general, in general, you don't do that unless it's communicated that, okay, you can do that too. But that was never communicated. So the fact that that was never communicated, and J-Rock already took an automatic L just for adding in other people when that was never communicated, the costume. And to so, build off, that? sorry, to build off that, to build off of that analogy, um, for those again who are not familiar with the culture, in this particular case, it would be like calling out somebody to a street fight, and then showing up with you and your homies all dressed like Michael Jackson and his homies <laughs> from the Bad music video, and then proceeding to fight. Like Michael oh, Jackson did and, in that video. And, uh, smooth, no, not, not Smooth Criminal. <laughs> Bad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <Hello>. <laughs> yeah, so it was, it was it was really bad. So I already knew that it was going to be uh, very comedic because, again, like, it's just, just looking at the exhibition. It, <laughs> when J-Rock tries really hard, it's, it's laughable. And I knew that he was going to try really hard. I knew I knew he was. So, And I've seen J-Rock smoke people before. Mm-hmm. I have seen it. In ciphers. But that's only when he is comfortable. When J-Rock is comfortable, that's when he yeah. really succeeds. And I was hoping that that was going to be the J-Rock that Fiction saw was him being comfortable. But anytime that J-Rock feels he has to prove something to someone, that's when he loses. It's because he then automatically feels that he has to like puff and become a peacock j-rock that kind of rhymes cool we'll just call him j-cock for short um so yeah so that's when that happens is he falls is because he tries hard that's where the popcorn came from because i was like i'm pretty this is a comedy smoke fest and that's what happened and i oh I'm so sorry to say you were absolutely <laughs> That's right. That's exactly what happened. I mean, it was a smoke fest on Fiction's end because Fiction was smoking the shit out of J-Rock. And I don't think anybody really expected that to happen. We were just like, wait, what's happening right now? <laughs> so it was even more funny because it's like the person I thought is not winning by a long right funny in itself. You know, and now it's just backfiring. And the fact that he's using 
routines is backfiring. And the fact that he can't hang with certain music is backfiring. And the fact that he didn't bring any animation really to emote the majority of the rounds are backfiring. So there's just so many backfiring things that I'm like, yo, man, this is really a lot. So, yeah, so that's where. Yeah. So, to, to, no, you're good. so I was like, right. so that's just where that whole thing came from um, was me just not taking that serious because I'm like, well, that's that's what you get. So. <laughs> So to those not um, not a part of the culture, uh, again, I just want to stress, it is not like Step Up. Not at all. It is not what we do. Uh, but to switch gears, uh, over the last few years on social media, you've evolved your public persona to focus more on activism, particularly concerning issues of race and gender in the dance world. So how would you describe this? Um, it started around 2015. Uh, yeah, started 2015. I did a project with Stan 2016. Um, and that was, I started this kind of like movement called All Lives Unite, um, which it didn't take off like I initially thought it would, but it was a really great start and stepping stone for where I wanted to go. Um, and this is really where the whole like, uh, body cam phenomenon kind of like just took off with police brutality and it kind of just came out of nowhere. And I was just seeing people were just seeing a lot of these police brutalities because of the body cams um, in a very huge quantity in a very short amount of time where a lot of black people were dying or getting severely hurt by cops who were white. Um, you know, so a lot of people were like, wait, what? This is happening? You know, and I was like, well, yes, this has always been happening for a long time, but we're just now seeing it because of body cams. So I was more so just really angry because of how much of the quantity I was seeing. Like, holy shit, this needs to change. Um, and I remember really trying to figure out how to do something, how to change this when I was still living in Phoenix. And um, I remember, <laughs> yeah, it was just, it, it was a lot. So from that point on, from 2016, I really started making it a point to really uh, speak up more. Uh, not only for hip hop, but also for the people that have created the culture within hip hop, which are black people, but you know, the, the African American diaspora. Um, so really wanted to speak up more for that inside of like, Hey, we cannot be dehumanized here. You know, like what are some ways that we can start uh, fighting this and combating this even more? You know, I know we've been doing it from civil rights and from slavery, but this shit needs to stop. And then the whole black, matter uh, black lives matter thing movement came about so i really i've really supported that really really huge um and interact of all lives matter and i'm like oh my god you know so it was just it was one thing after another um and then i kind of chilled a little bit around like 2017 2018 because i was really trying to figure out like projects to make video film projects to make because i'm like okay i need to figure out other avenues that i can get this word out um, so I basically kind of went back underground and, and was kind of just figuring things out in that way. Um, and then I met someone recently who was really, who's really in, into anti-racism. Um, and then she really put me on game into that. And that kind of opened a whole world on like anti-racism and white supremacy and all this stuff. Um, and I was like, whoa, I never knew this existed. Um, so I really studied up on that really, really hard. Um, and like, as if like, it was a new, it was a new world, you know, but I was really excited to dig into this particular thing. Cause I felt like I've been longing and searching for something like this and couldn't find it. And now I finally have it in my lap. So I'm like, great. Okay. What is this? And then all these other activists started popping up these names like Rachel Cargo, uh, Brian Stevenson, uh, Imbram Kendi, Tina Strawn, you know, like all these other people started popping up and I'm like, who are these people? you know, started studying their work more, started looking up their books more. And that's when white fragility came out, um, which actually the person who put me on to that was Charlie Dando. Shout out to the homie, Charlie. Um, he put me up on white fragility. Mm. And I remember being at his crib and he's like, yo, cause we started talking about race out of nowhere and it was like really organic. And he's like, yo man, I think you might be really interested in reading this book. Obviously it's not for you. It's for white people, but I think it can open up some, some perspectives for you. 
I was like, okay, word, what is it called? And he's like, White Fragility. I just read it. It's really mind-blowing from this author author and activist, or not activist, but sociologist named uh, Robin D'Angelo. You know, I was like, okay, dope. I'll look it over. I started reading it, and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Um, so that just completely just, like, leveled me in a, in a great way. Um, and then that just sent me on, like, a snowball effect onto more books, onto more topics, onto more terminologies and then that's when cultural appropriation came into play i was like what is this and i was like oh that's what that is i didn't know that's what that was called you know so it was just a whole bunch of things just started to be uplifted and a lot of veils started to be removed and once that happened from last year i can never see anything the same anymore and then that's when sexism started coming in you know there was actual term for this started studying that started studying, uh, then started having talks about like transgender community more, um, you know, cause I had my own views about that. And then I was like, oh shit, I didn't know that I was oppressing this community by having these views. So I was like, let me not do that anymore. So started, you know, talking to people who, you know, are really advocates for the trans, uh, transgender community and so on and so forth. So it was just, the rest is kind of history in that point. But, um, well, that's that, and that's the thing too. Like, it's it's so good to, um, it, it it's really beautiful to hear you talk about that because I know we've had arguments in the past, like years and years ago, when we were both yeah. much less educated people. Uh, yeah. About like this, so, and and, and I, in the first episode uh, of this podcast, I had a discussion ah. with uh, DeAndre Carroll, um, and he he was talking about um, we were talking about queer communities, uh, and. I brought up this point. This is still really very important to me because it's, it's kind of like when it comes to queer mm. people and transgender, like it's, it's kind of like the, yeah, the last yeah. frontier right now in the dance world Absolutely. in terms of like acceptance and, and those causes, which is, is ridiculous is. when you think about it. Cause it, 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 so much of the culture that was built was built, especially like with house was built by black, uh, um, transgender absolutely people, black, yeah uh, queer people yeah. and, and for it to 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 still see that homophobia and transphobia rampant in our scene um yeah it's, it's hard it is man it, it definitely is you know and i think the the thing the, one of the takeaways i can really say about this work that i'm really really diving into and have dove into is that it's it truly has made me into a better person you know across the board because now, you know, like I'm I'm having more conversations with more diverse communities who are doing this work or who at least have kind of studied it. You know, we're having more conversations about it. I'm talking to way more people who are indigenous, um, you know, and, and building more relationships with people who are indigenous and native, since I'm also and have a lot of native in my blood as well, through, just through ancestry. So it it gives me more of a sense of pride as just a person. Um and it really allows me to to build an authentic identity as well um, that might have been a little bit more inauthentic. Like I even started studying more about internalized racism and, and started going to work on that. Uh, Anti-blackness, you know, a, a whole bunch of different terminologies and whatnot from the difference between like womanism and feminism, like studying those two tiers. Um thinking of like different trips and organizations I can be a part of, you know, so like I even did my first, um, I don't even know what you want to call it, but I guess meeting or conversation type thing in LA called uprooting. And it was basically like a, a intro to speaking about race or not racism, but white supremacy within the, the dance community and how we can go about acknowledging and seeing that, um, to start going to work on it, you know, and I had, I think maybe like 17 people that came out, um, which was amazing from it being like my debut, you know, uh, and I recorded it and everything, you know, so it's like, we just have to start getting people more aware of it and talking about it. Like I got my, my crewmate popping Todd on it. He actually hit me up for me speaking up more about it. And he's like, Hey man, uh, I've been, you know, seeing what you're doing and, and a lot of it has definitely been triggering me, but I really want to be an even better person. So how can I be of service? You know, I was like, wow, man, that's, that's really amazing. Like, thank you. You know, um, the only, like, so 
it's like the only white person that I was aware of that was that close to me who hit me up to, to be educated. So now he's doing work as well on himself and he had a few meetings on white fragility out in Portland, Oregon. And I'm like, Oh, this is great. Like, I just want to get ripple effects out there. Like I'm not trying to do this work forever. My initial goal is to get people to start doing the work themselves as well. And then I know that's going to create more ripple effects for other people, which I've definitely had um, in the community. I've, I've gotten way more people to start talking about this in the last year and a half than I have ever heard or have seen anyone doing in the dance community ever. So the fact that that has even happened is an issue. And also it's, it's a good step in the direction in the right direction. It's unfortunate too, because we see this, um, this growth and this, this um, passion uh, blooming in, in your, your public uh, messaging. And then Mm -hmm. we see a lot of pushback at the same time uh, from non-white people, I'm sorry, non-black people, primarily white, but not always uh, non-black people in a culture created by black people. And speaking as somebody myself, I'm a white man who, um have i was adopted mm-hmm. into the culture into uh, chicago footwork into the creation right. global crew from the south side of chicago i have benefited uh immensely from from black culture and i would not like my life would be completely mm-hmm. different had i not been exposed uh and so everyone like me um we are guests in in somebody else's house and that doesn't mean we can't participate and it doesn't mean we can't be great but i very important for us to acknowledge that because people are dying uh for this and um and while while we do nothing but prosper so i i see a lot of pushback on the Mm. on the um the the label of Mm. guest from non-black dancers uh, because they, they feel some sort of entitlement to the culture. And my questions for you would be, what would you say is the main role of guests in the culture? And have guests been meeting your expectations or is it more um, an experience it's, of being let down? It's, it's a bit of everything, man. Like, that's it's a great question. Um, the, first, the first answer I'd say is I have definitely been let down, you know, but I understand it's a process at the same time. So, you know, there is a lot of kind of leeway for people to come around, you know, I've told people time and time again, like, yo, like my, my, the right, the reason why I do this work is not to literally look out and search white people or non or non black people and tell them what they've been doing. That isn't working. Like that's not at all what I'm doing this work for. It's just to create awareness and to put the information out there so that way the people who want to learn it can grab it. They have no excuse. It's up for grabs. They can talk to me and then I can direct them to other resources or whatever, what have you. Um, and then the people who don't, they don't, you know, and that's, that's literally it, you know, but I think a lot of people kind of get it confused as if like, I'm telling folks, you know, like I'm trying to convert everybody. And I'm like, nope, not at all. I'm literally just putting that information out there. If I was literally trying to convert people, I would be way more exhausted than I am now. You know, uh, like way more angry than I am now if I was trying to convert everybody to be non-racist or anti-racist. Because I know that that's damn near impossible to do. You know, like it's there's so much layered shit that you have to get through to even have a calm, civil progressive conversation with someone who it can get past the whole systemic uh racial biasness you know so that alone i'm like yeah i'm not doing that there are other activists who who probably do that but i'm not doing that that's not for me to do um so as far as that goes yes it is disappointing because like i said now that i've had the veil and removed now i can't unsee things now so even friendships that i once had are no longer authentic or stable because I know where this person comes from. Like I know the type of mentality this person has towards me as a person. You know, I know the type of mentality and perspective they have towards the group of people I represent as people, not as dancers, but as people, regardless if they tell me, oh, I love black people. No, you don't. Because if you did, you would have no problem if I told you 
to stop saying the N-word, and you would just stop saying it. But you don't. You fight me back with, like, well, I mean, I've been saying it all my life. So then you don't really love black people then. You love what black people give you, but you don't love black people, though. You know, and that's that really mm. is the difference. Because if you love someone, if they're literally telling you, hey, this hurts, can you stop? And if you're saying, nah, man, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time, so then you don't really love that person. You know what I mean? So it's it's a... Uh, I think it's it's kind of just like you got to start seeing things for what they really are, you know. So as far as that goes, yes, I am definitely disappointed, and I still know it, it's a process and, and a journey. Um, and then as far as the the second part, as far as like what guests bring to the table, I think they just bring a lot of different a lot of different uh, identities to the table if they'll if those identities are authentic, you know. Like it's not the people who have said like black culture is black culture. Um, I think what tends to happen is that when someone who is non-black who hears that, uh, the initial response is defense because it's like, or they feel attacked. It's like, wait a minute, how is it black culture? Like, I've been doing this and you know from so and so for years, and this person isn't black, you know. And it's like we're not saying that you can't contribute things. We're not saying that at all. Like, white people have definitely contributed over the years. Like, J. Rock has contributed his mind. He's contributed his very, very sharp, keen attention to detail. I mean, like some people don't have that. So that's contributed. He's contributed a way of teaching that's very efficient for people who follow his teaching. You know, future from Assassins. He's contributed uh, mm. a way of combining certain, certain styles and fusing those styles together and to create something new, like some type of hybrid. You know, like that's the only person I was really seeing and noticing that was fusing Jukin, Memphis Jukin, with popping. You know, I didn't really see anyone else doing that besides Future. He was the only mm. person I saw who was starting to dance with his tutting, which he calls the funky tutter, before I started seeing other people do that. You know, so it's not to say that non-black people cannot contribute to black culture. I think that's the initial response that non-black people have is that they think that we're saying that you don't bring nothing to the table. And it's like, no, that's not true at all. At least that's not what I'm saying when I say it. Like, there are other black people who are saying that. Like, nope, bring shit to the table. But I disagree with that. I think there are a lot of people who can bring things to the table because this is a melting pot. But I think first, in order to honor something, you have to be able to respect it. And that respect is going to come from a loss of something. You know, so, and that's where we get into, like, racial equity, mm. you know, of like knowing the difference between equity and equality, you know, and I think a lot of people still kind of mesh those two together. And a lot of people don't even know what equity really means of like, you have to be able to give up a sense of your power. So that way, those who are not in power can thrive, you know, and a lot of people who are non-black are not willing to do that because if they're white passing or white, they are, they're already knowing that they benefit from white supremacy or, or even white privilege so that comes with a lot of benefits. And if they're if they're cognizant of like giving up something, they're like, oh, I'm going to lose a sense of like my income. You know, and it's like, no, dude, like that's not at all what that means. It's mm. like you're paying it forward. You're paying it back to the people who literally ha are the reason you're doing what you're doing now. So would you not want to give back to the people who literally are providing the whole reason you're doing your shit? You know what I mean? So that's the I think that's the part where people kind of miss the the tran the translation and certain conversations that are confronting but at the end of the day it's like yo like truth hurts sometimes you know what i mean like then these things are not always opinionated either like that's also kind of a a constant like language barrier if you will of like people think a lot of a lot of things what i'm saying is like opinion based and it's not like this is actually from statistics these things are from sociological uh studies these things are from actual activists who have been in this work way longer than i have who've been doing this work who have been studying how human minds work you know so this shit isn't just coming out of the, the air you know and i'm just telling people like oh yeah all white people are racist all men are sexist like i'm not just saying that to just say it to ruffle feathers like i'm saying it because it comes from an actual mental state of being you know, and if you're not aware of that, then you're doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, so yeah, I, I mean, I kind of kind of ran off in a rant, but, you know, you get my point.
Uh, not another point, bud. Um, but no, I mean, it's, it's, these are important issues and it's, it's hard to have this kind of discussion nowadays because it's on social yes. media and yes. it's in text and people don't, they can't understand, um, just, yep. just through written word, unfortunately. And, and what you're saying is absolutely true in terms of white people being racist, men being sexist, this and that. It doesn't mean we are, you know, speaking as a white, yeah. heterosexual, cisgendered man, you know, like I had so yeah. much shit I've had to work through because of that. Right. To understand what yeah, I was yeah. doing to people, people who love, you know, and people, people who have given me the world mm-hmm. and I was participating in their oppression and I'm not, yeah. not to say that I've got it right, y'all. Don't get it twisted. This is a process. This is a process Absolutely. that goes on for the rest of your life. I still mess up on a monthly basis. Yep. I still get called out frequently. <laughs> Not as frequently as I used to be, but it is still it is still pretty frequent. And when that happens, it is not it does not mean you are an evil person. It does not mean that you are that the, the you yep. are broken. It just means there's something you didn't see. And when when that happens. All you have to do, acknowledge what they're saying to you, apologize sincerely, and yeah. work on it. Yep. Because that's yeah. That's I'm so glad you said that, man. It's it. it's so important to hear that. Folks who are listening in to hear that from another white person. One, you never arrive at the finish line. That that that's one of the main things I have taken away from doing this. Is that you're never going to arrive at the finish line of like, oh, cool, I finally got to the destination of. I'm complete in this work now. That's never going to happen because this work continues to evolve. Just how racism has evolved, slavery has evolved, this work also evolves. So we're never going to get to the finish line in that. And then just the fact that you're saying of, uh, you know, like, yeah, you're going to mess up every day. It's all a process, you know, but I think as as white supremacy is is still rampant and a lot of the majority of you know white folks like they're still kind of under the the guise of of trying to make everything perfect you know and it's like well once i get to this level of you know knowledge or enlightenment then i'll start speaking up for black lives like no 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 just now and just just work on it as you go you know what i mean like no that's not at all how that works at all so if you're listening in on this and if you are someone who's been kind of reserved on whether or not you should speak up for black lives or marginalized people or indigenous lives, you know, uh, don't hesitate on that. Just start speaking up now and then you'll figure out the rest as you go along. But the point is to just take action. That's really the po- the whole point of it that we need is to take action. And of course, you're going to have the those who are like, well, I feel like white people shouldn't speak up for black lives. I'm going to tell you now, the reason why that is, is because we still see racism as something that is civil rights movement. So we still see it as a sense of like, it's not, it's not a white person's problem. It's just a problem that black people need to fix, which is still underneath white supremacy in the white narrative for us to fix. That's no longer the, the, the definition anymore. So we all need to speak up on this in order to really get it done perfect example is covid covid is a perfect example of that of everyone needs to come together to end this virus racism is a virus white supremacy is a virus sexism is a virus everything is a virus you know that really oppresses someone it's a virus and the only way that it can get done is by everybody adding in and to help in the virus like it's not going to go anywhere if one person's doing it alone that's just that's not how anything works. So, yeah. So I'm really glad that you spoke on that. Well, in the yeah. interest of speaking up, uh, that brings me to our final question. Um, mm-hmm. If you could have your own billboard and set it up in the middle of your city, mm-hmm. someplace where thousands. Oh of people my god, see that is. Day, <laughs> oh, shit. What would it say? Man, that's a lot of pressure. Oh man. I know. <laughs> The There's so many things I would want it to say, but I'm like, I, damn. <laughs> um, I guess. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, um, let's let's see. Obviously. I'm trying to think of something that can just be applied to everything. Um, 
I would probably say, uh, man, I would probably say knowledge is only power when activated. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Amen to that. All right. Well, that, uh, Word, that brings man. us to a close on our time today. Um, I want to, I want to end All right. uh, with something that's a tradition on this show. Mm. If you have Drink left. I would all right, let me go ahead and pour some more because I just drunk all of it. <laughs> but let me. No, I really. First off, I very much. Nah, man, I, I got you, my dude. Like, if this is the tradition, I I need to honor that. So, all right, I just poured it. Let it be known to my listeners at home that yes, uh, sir, yes, sir, Soulsberry is man. Yes, sir, I'm ready. You ready? Uh, so, uh, and those of you at home with uh, some drinks left in your glass can raise with me uh, to the <laughs> to the end of the world. To the end of the world. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers, my dude. Thanks for having me again, man. Mm. All right. Well. Thank you very much for coming to me, brother. Always a pleasure deep down talking to you. Uh, so this is um, Drinking and Dance at the End of the World. This is Rob Celtic signing off. And as always, we will endure. We will change. Peace. And we will overcome. God bless. This episode of Drinking and Dance at the End of the World was written and produced by me, Rob Celtic. Music for this episode was provided by the one and only Feathers. That's F-T-H-R-S. You can find more of his work on Spotify and Bandcamp under Feathers. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, stay tuned for our upcoming Patreon page, as well as links to how you can help support each of our guest dancers during this time of global upheaval. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.